0: we're still praying for Mike and he might come to Christ this weekend we're hoping <laughs> no he's, he's a treat you know listening to Gail um, he is so cerebral and uh, intelligent and when you hear Walt you're going to hear the same kind of uh, rightly dividing of the word of God they really apply their minds to the scriptures but it is encouraging to know that they maybe should have gotten out more as they study the word, because we got here a few days ago, and I got to go on a walk with both of them. We were having a great time, and my shoe came untied, and so as I, so I stopped to tie it, they kept walking and kind of running around a turn in the trail, and I heard, uh, heard them stop, and Walt said, look at those deer tracks. And Gail says, I'm sorry, Walt, you're, you're screwed up here. Those are bear tracks. And so they started to get into a big argument, and I'll only tell you that I, I just got around the turn in time to push them out of the way of that train. wouldn't even... <laughs> But uh, uh, Gail, he comes by at Honest. He's from Georgia. And in Louisiana, we can't help ourselves but just make a little fun of those folks from Georgia. And uh, Because you guys have probably met some of them and know what I'm talking about. You uh, probably heard about the one that moved up to New York and got the job on the high rise. And he was up on the 30th floor, one of those skyscrapers that they're building it, the construction crew. And he made friends with uh, an Englishman and a Jewish guy. And every day at lunch, they'd sit up on the 30th floor and open their lunch. In the, and after a long time, um, the Englishman one day opened his up he says, Blimey, every day my wife makes the same lunch. I just can't take it anymore. Day in, day out, never a change. I talked to her about it, always the same lunch. The Jewish guy always says, Oy, for me too. The same, every day, day in, day out, the same lunch. I beg her, but always the same. The guy from Georgia opens his he says, dang, peanut butter and jelly again. Every day peanut butter and jelly. I don't know why can't have something different. The Englishman says, this is it. If I open my lunch tomorrow and it's the same thing, I'm jumping. Thirty floors. The Jewish guy says, I will too. The guy from Georgia looks at him and says, me too, fellas. So the next day, they're up there. The Englishman opens his pail. Blimey. Closes it and jumps. The Jewish man opens it up. Oi! I'm so young. He jumps. The fellow from Georgia, oh, dead gum! closes it, and he jumps. At the funeral, the foreman is there, everybody's crying, and he sees the three wives, and he walks over to him, he says, you three make me sick. He says, no, they begged you to change it. They had to have, they had to have. They didn't have to die, they were good workers, good husbands. Why couldn't you serve them something different? He looks at them and he says, why, what's your excuse? And she says, it's the proper thing to serve. He looks at the Jewish wife, he says, well you, what story have you got? It's always on sale looks at the little gal from Georgia. What do you got to say for yourself? She says, I don't know, he makes his own lunch. (laughs) So David shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. Psalm 78, uh, 72, the, the theme verse. According to the integrity of the heart. What the heck does that mean? When Job was going through his trials, he says in, in chapter 6, verse 29, my integrity is at stake. And you think, boy, he's lost his family and everything else. What's it got to do with his, with his integrity? Uh, and what is, I mean, what the heck is integrity? And what's the problem? What is so hard uh, today for people to hold on to their integrity? Why is it so rare? You know, part of the reason, of course, is life is so fast-paced that most of the time you... You have to respond on instinct and uh, you're reacting instead of stopping and thinking but uh, we live in a culture that does not encourage it Uh, they did some surveys in the last few years and they uh, found out these facts employee theft is at 1 billion dollars a week in the United States people were asked what one thing they'd change about themselves if they could over half said their weight the one thing they could change about their lives they'd be two-thirds said they'd be wealthier 50% call in sick when they're really not sick, when they're well. For $10 million, 7% of the United States population would kill a stranger. 25% would abandon their family. 23% would become a prostitute or a pimp. 20% of the gross national product is not reported to the IRS annually. Uh, 74% of people say they'd steal from someone who would not miss it. 50% waste the equivalent of a full day of work every week at their offices or wherever they work. 64% said they would lie when it suits them. 69% say ethics should fluctuate based upon the situation. It's almost 70% of the population. See, our culture has what Howard Hendricks calls AIDS, acquired integrity deficiency syndrome. All of our celebrities, all of our leaders, or one-dimensional without any character. We don't have any examples. Way back in 1920, Senator Ashurst of Arizona wrote to a colleague, the great trouble with you is that you refuse to be a demagogue. You will not submerge your principles in order to get yourself elected. You must learn that there are times when a man in public life is compelled to rise above his principles. See, we need men of integrity who won't dissolve into the stream of our culture. George Washington said 200 years ago, few men have the virtue to withstand the highest bidder. The sad part is, is the culture is so bad it does not take much effort for Christians to look better. We're like the guy leaving the job site with a wheelbarrow full of sand and the guard there, he, he searches the sand to make sure the guy's not stealing tools. The guy goes in and out, he searches every time, make sure he's not stealing tools. They never figure out he's stealing sand. And that's us. Keep our sin prof- profile low. We want the reputation for integrity without taking some of the risks or paying the price that it requires. I'll give you a little pop quiz. Uh, and I want you to not generalize this. I want you to think about this personally, your life, not people out there in the culture, President Clinton. Think about you, where you are, uh, where you work. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, after he was president, had a, ran a ranch and he took one of his employees and he asked him if he would mind something they needed, stealing something from a larger ranch next door. Employee thought about it and said, yes, I'll do that for you, Mr. President. So Roosevelt fired him. And he said, a man who'll steal from me will soon steal from me, he'll steal for me. Let me ask you these questions. You ever buy or sell an item for a value that's vastly different from the real value? Do you ever uh, buy what you can't really afford or rent it so that you'll look like you're more successful than you are? Cheat on your income taxes? You ever signed a contract because you knew it was unenforceable for some reason? Or ignored a contract because you knew the person you had it with would not pursue you in court? I had an employee once tell me he would not honor his non-compete agreement with us because it wasn't enforceable. I told him we weren't going to sue you anyway but I would never work with you again now, knowing that that's the way you are. You ever sued another Christian in contravention of God's Word? You ever slandered someone who works with you to make yourself look better? Gonna kind of put them down, make you look a little bit better. And remember, the slander is not lying about someone; it can be telling the truth if the facts are damaging. If you take supplies or make copies or make long-distance personal calls at the office or at work without permission, exaggerate about your firm's resources or abilities to a potential customer. This one will hurt. If what if Jesus said to you, "One thing you lack." Go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Like he said to the rich young ruler, would you do it? If he asked you to do that. See, integrity is really usually not that that kind of a situation. It's an epic battle of daily skirmishes. That's what it is. It's the little things. I'll call you right back. We'll pray for you. I tried to reach you get that to you today I'll get it done today this is the best product for you can't give you anything right now we traffic in half truths in our culture even as Christians and um, I think probably the best pop quiz we could give is out of Matthew 23 so turn to that if you would with me and I'll tell you that it's, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and for 25 years of my Christian walk I saw the Pharisees as caricatures, not real people. And they were the uh, uh, religious men who were really full time Christian workers. They were preachers involved at the church. Uh, it never hit me that they were laymen. The vast majority of them were just like us, they had trades, and they were businessmen. And most of us are religious leaders and business people, just lay people. And as I've gone, uh, gone on with Jesus, more and more, the things He says to them, I realize, have uh, tremendous implications in my life. So, uh, let's, let's just walk through 23. I'll pick out a few verses, and, and we'll just take a quick look at them. Verses, uh, Matthew 23, verses 2 and 3. Saying, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds." for they say things and they do not do them. Think not only of your personal ministry, wherever that might be, but also you at work. Do you ever preach things at work that you yourself don't do? Do you tell people to have regular quiet times? Are you having a daily quiet time? Do you tell people that they, to do excellent work and then you cut corners? That the customer comes first, but it's obvious from the way that you handle things that you come first? Do your behavior, does your behavior match the things that you say? Albert Schweitzer said, Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. Look at verse 4. And they, they tie up heavy loads, lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Do you lay heavy loads on younger Christians and people at work without helping? I've made decisions at the office that have required some of my employees to stay there till midnight, two o'clock in the morning. And I'm home with my family watching TV. I have challenged uh, younger Christians and laid burdens on them and things that they should be doing, memorizing scripture. And I have not encouraged them offered them any suggestions, given them any tools, or tried to meet with them to help them to accomplish that just like the Pharisees. We're just like the Pharisees. Look at 5 through 7. They do all their deeds to be noticed by men for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments and they love the place of honor at the banquets and the chief seats of the synagogues, respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called by men. Rabbi, who's your audience? God or men? What motivates you? Would you rather be asked to pray in front of the entire church and you're not praying by yourself at home? Do you spiritualize conversations? Well, in my long quiet time today, God showed me this. I have to admit that sometimes I even share the gospel so that I can tell the guys at the CBMC breakfast that Friday that I shared Christ. Instead of sharing Christ because that guy was lost and it's something that Jesus wants me to do. Do you serve without concern for recognition? A little test is if you've ever been involved in an activity and then when they recognize the people who were and they left you out, did you resent it? Let's look at verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Do you delight when others pass you up in the Christian life or get a promotion that you wanted at the office, do you, do you delight in making someone else successful, or do you want to be ahead of everyone who started out either even with you or behind you? Uh, do you slander or even discourage people so that they don't move forward to you when they're really taking off? I can remember years ago, in fact, um, Kelly Talmo speaks here, and, and um, I was thinking as I thought about this principle I thought. I used to resent the Dickens out of Kelly because when he came to Christ, he took off so fast. I could just see he was just leaving me in the dust. And, and I would find myself, well, he's a great guy, but you know, but you know, and God really had to deal with me on that. You delight when others pass you up in their growth. Look at verse 15. This is like Saturday Night Live skit. You know, When oh, that really hurts. <laughs> Some of this stuff. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about this on sea and land to make one proselyte, and then he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Are you molding the men you influence into your image or into Jesus's image? Do you let them develop their own convictions and their own purpose, or do you push them towards your own, with your own opinions? Do you cross-pollinate them so they can be exposed to other laborers in the kingdom even though they may leave you? you teach men to fish or do you just give them fish so they're dependent on you? Mm. Let's look at verse 23 and 24. Sixth question. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You are blind guides who strain out out a gnat and swallow a camel. Mm. Do you major on the majors? Because the minor stuff's easier. Do you have your theology all straight, but you're not helping people that you know who are in financial difficulty? You do in-depth Bible studies with great outlines, and you underpay your employees. You never miss church, but your wife and your kids cringe at your criticism. Are you majoring on the majors? Mm. Hopefully, it's coming to an end pretty quickly. Matthew twenty-three verses twenty-five through twenty-eight. You got to remember, the opposite of integrity is hypocrisy. So these guys, if you want to know about integrity, it's great to look at the Pharisees because you can see what it's not. Verses twenty-five through twenty-eight. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but the inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside may become clean also. Are you pretending to be right, righteous and avoiding transparency? <coughs> are you like a, a big tree with no root system? You look good, but when you, somebody gets up close, there's no fruit, and you're just waiting for a big wind. You're going to blow over like a Hollywood set. Looks good on the outside, but it's just a backdrop. There's nothing but a few empty boards behind it. All show and no go. You have debt, your TV viewing, anger, love of money, all those things in your life, and yet you're professing, uh, carrying your Bible into church, and you're not telling anybody about your problems, and they just think you're great. Who's your audience? The last one is verse 30. And say, if I had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Do you think you're above certain sins? Superiority, pride, arrogance. I'd never do that. In fact, many times, if we're honest, we even delight when we see someone else stumble. Makes us feel better about ourselves. Look down at a fallen saint. Instead of realizing uh, ingratitude, independence that that could have been me and I need to be very careful look at the Israelites and think boy what a pack of idiots instead of realizing they're just like us we'd have probably done the same stinking thing I never would have been fooled by Jim Jones maybe so maybe you would have well if that's uh, after that little pop quiz let's take a look and what is integrity uh, like 1st Corinthians 13 uh, it's not performance. A lot of the description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is what uh, things it isn't. Uh, because anyone can perform, especially for a short time. Uh, I told the guys the day before yesterday, uh, I do a lot of distance running. And the nice thing about that is you get to see how people perform over a long way. And a lot of people look great for 6 miles, 10 miles, 16 miles. But around mile 20, it shows up. If they haven't done the training, if they haven't got the legs, if they haven't uh, disciplined themselves, when the wear and the tear shows up they're going to be walking it's not accuracy that's not that's what you get in washington uh, the definition of is carefully worded statements managing the truth that's not integrity it's not just doing what is legal i cannot tell you how many christians think if it's legal it's moral there's a huge difference don't do not confuse because you can file bankruptcy does not mean you don't have to pay the debt back it's a moral issue <coughs> It's not pragmatism. Don't do it if it wouldn't look good on the front page of the paper. There's stuff we shouldn't be doing that would make you look great on the front page of the paper. That's the low bar. Uh, It's not just honesty. Uh, Spencer Johnson said, integrity is telling myself the truth and honesty is telling the truth to other people. Advertising pioneer William Birnbeck said, honesty sells. Problem is, so does sex. It's not putting off ministry till you're successful. I've read some of these books that talk about moving from success to significance. Please don't fall into that trap. Jesus wants you right now. He wants you right now. Meeting God halfway, that's not integrity. Having a good reputation. Heck, Jesus had no reputation Bible says. Can't tell integrity by that. It's not following God fully in most areas and trying to isolate sin in one or two. That's what Gail talked about, compartmentalization. You know, in 1912, the Titanic was declared unsinkable because they had made these compartments all through the ship, and one of them could be pierced and it wouldn't sink. Well, I tell you, the ship was just waiting to hit a big enough iceberg. And when it did, it went down with 1,522 people. Don't be like the Titanic. It's just a matter of time until you hit that big iceberg. So don't try to compartmentalize your relationship with God Last, I'd ask you to ask yourself, what's the first thing you think of when you think of yourself? That'll show you where you are at the inside because integrity, in the Old Testament, the word means completeness, innocence, perfect simplicity, uprightness. The root word was the Thumen stone which was one of the stones that was in the high priest's breastplate and it stood for complete truth, perfection, without flaw or crack. In other words, it was solid the whole way through. In the New Testament, uh, the word is used, to, uh, two different words are translated integrity. One is true as in not concealing, meaning what you see is what you get. What you see on the outside is what exists on the inside. That's integrity. It's so without corruption, undivided. Uh, it's just pure. There's no rot. Uh, it's wholeness, without double-mindedness. God is the God of every area of your life. In fact, when you read through the Old Testament you see people refer to as wholehearted, with a perfect heart. Those are people who are subscribing with integrity. There was a, a simplicity there. Engineers know what integrity is. They can tell you if a bridge looks solid, if it has integrity, it is solid. I, I ride my cycle. I was, I was listening to Ty a lot. Uh, I like to bicycle. And we go over all these roads and, and bridges. And I would have told you that probably the, the one that looked the most solid had these big concrete beams that we crossed it. It's one of our most common routes. So I cross it all the time. One day we found the thing was condemned. And they started working on it, and I was, had to cross it kind of on the side bridge, and it was rotten underneath, full of cracks. I had to replace the whole thing. See, it had no integrity. It looked solid on the outside, but it had no integrity. Does your private life equal your public life? I love the way Arthur Miller describes integrity in the, the play The Crucible. Integrity is bigger than telling the truth. It is about being a certain kind of person. It's about being people who know who we are and what we are. And it is about being true to what we are, even when it could cost us more than we should like to pay. Psalm 15:2 has a good definition. He who walks in integrity and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Are you speaking the truth in your heart? Or are you kidding yourself? Are you living consistently in light of what you believe, what you say you believe? i love uh there's a businessman i know in louisiana who when his employees bring him a problem he will not let them give them give him the name of the person involved or the amount of money okay now let's talk about what the problem is do you if you really believe the bible is word of god do you apply all of the bible to all of your business see because that's what i believe when it's when david says he shepherded israel in the integrity of his heart he believed that the Bible was the Word of God and God was who He said He was, and that came out in every area of the way he handled his business, which was the government of Israel. This is the end of side one. Please turn the tape over for side two. Didn't do it perfectly. And in uh, all of us, I encourage the Christians who interact to get Jesus in the conversation. And there's just I find there's this hesitancy even between Christians to talk about Jesus at the office and I say get him in there and talk about the underlying issues. What are the biblical principles that apply? Now you can't do that necessarily with the lost people. You just apply them but you sure do it. Bring him out and get him on the table. Get him in the room with you. You see, the issue and the key to knowing anything about integrity is in obedience. If we were a bridge, like the engineer looking at that bridge, then obedience is the traffic that's crossing the bridge and God says that the bridge can withstand all of his commands in all areas of life if you haven't done anything to compromise the load limit if you have not allowed any cracks to form if you're solid and what's on the inside is what's on the outside so your approach to obedience because David didn't obey perfectly but David wanted to obey the key is your approach to obedience um, do you want to do what he wants you to do? Uh, do you follow them because uh, you believe they're in your best interest? Or do you rationalize like Saul did? You know, well, I waited for you, Samuel, and we just, you know, it was getting late, guys were leaving, so we had to sacrifice. Redefine the commands. Well, uh, yeah, we, we saved some of the animals, did exactly what you said, saved some of the animals like Saul did so we could, so we could sacrifice. Do we delay our obedience to God? Do we see a command and go, that's going to be kind of tough. Yeah, I need to do, I'm going to do that, um, but I'm not just I'm not going to do it today. That's what Balaam did. Remember when he was supposed to curse Israel? God told him, you can't curse him. And he sends the guy out like six times to sacrifice. Let me see if God changed his mind. Let me see, eventually he figured a way uh, that he could help out um, the pagan nations and he paid the price for it. He delayed his obedience and he got into trouble. Tolerating hidden sins like many of the kings did. Do you desperately seek to please the love of your soul knowing that His commands are in your best interest and they're for your good they don't do Him anything at all? They're all for you. Or do you try to run as close to the edge of obedience as you can? Uh, Exercise benign neglect, rationalize, search for counsel that'll put a twist on the scriptures that'll let you get away with doing what you want to do. Because I'll tell you, the only way you'll know whether you have integrity is, it, is the only way you find out if a bridge really has integrity, is does it last? It takes time. It takes time. Traffic all the time. And eventually, uh, the price of obedience will be so high you'll collapse. It's one of the reasons I love to study the lives of the kings in the Old Testament. I've been through it many times, made notes on all of the kings of Israel and Judah, because, uh, as, and I was encouraged to do that by Gail Jackson, who did a session on that years ago. Because you get to take their lives and see how they were at the very beginning and then fast forward 25, 30, 40 years and see how they ended. And you, it's, it's, it's incredibly predictable. If it says when he's a young king that he obeyed the Lord, but not with a whole heart or not with a perfect heart, or even if it says he obeyed the Lord with a whole heart, but he didn't get rid of the high places, which were real low profile out in the country, sin, you know, just tolerable. And a lot of people actually went there and did good things there. You find one of those two things. Fast forward to the end of that guy's life, and he crashed. His bridge collapsed. His bridge collapsed. He didn't have integrity. You see, to have, a, to be wholehearted, you have to have a pure, simple approach to life with no mixed motives. You serve one master with one focus, one audience, one passion, one commitment, all to God. No confusion, no tension. Uh, that's what the, I love. The story of the unrighteous steward so much about. That guy had it right. He did not confuse trying to serve his master and himself. He just picked himself. There's no tension in his life. He took care of me. If you want to get rid of the tension, I don't encourage you to follow his example in that, but I do encourage you to follow his example in just picking one master. It's a lot easier. It's an issue of the heart, commitment to God, and forsaking all others. Integrity is a decision that you can make today by an act of your will. It's a commitment to God and yourself. As YOU'RE GOING TO BELIEVE WHAT YOU BELIEVE, AND LIVE CONSISTENTLY WITH IT, NO MATTER WHAT. I LOVE uh, THE INSIGHT GAINED FROM PSALM 2611 IN DAVID'S LIFE. BUT AS FOR ME, I SHALL WALK IN MY INTEGRITY. REDEEM ME AND BE GRACIOUS TO ME. TALKING TO GOD. MY FOOT STANDS ON A LEVEL PLACE IN THE CONGREGATION. I SHALL BLESS THE LORD. HE MADE THAT COMMITMENT. HE HAD A HEART AFTER GOD'S OWN HEART. AND I'VE THOUGHT A LOT ABOUT THAT. WHAT'S A HEART AFTER GOD'S OWN HEART? Well, as I study the Scriptures and try to figure out who God is, well, He seems to care about two things. His glory, which means He wants us to appreciate Him, so it's our relationship with Him. And the second thing He cares about is His people, His people. Our relationship with His inheritance. And that's where His heart is. Is that where your heart is? That's where David's heart was. Are God and the things of God people, your passion and life? Because, and guys, you're going to make mistakes. But if you are really wanting to please God and make Him happy and you really believe everything He tells you is in your best interest, then when you catch yourself cheating a little bit on your taxes, you'll file an amended return. When you plagiarize somebody else's work, you'll acknowledge it. When you're flirting, you'll deal with it. You'll confess it and put it away, admitting it is what God says it is and looking at it the same way He does. Not play games with it. And you'll never under any circumstances no matter what God does in your life put your relationship with God at risk that's never on the table and you'll never question his character or his motives or his sovereignty you can get mad about anything but don't do those <clears throat> David makes a great example I mentioned him a couple of times because of uh, the way he approached God in his word and uh, we will not take time to go over it, but I encourage you to mark down 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 19. Because it makes, it's David's prayer at the end of his life, and it's so incredible. Here's a guy, just about, he's turned it over to Solomon, and, he's, and it reads just like early in his life the Psalms he wrote. I mean, he praises God, he acknowledges God owns all, is in total control. God supplies everything he needs. He's totally grateful. He says, we don't deserve it. Unworthy. But God is gracious. Everything he has from God and acknowledges that God expects obedience and acknowledges his total dependence. Just wants to please God all the way to the end of his life. And the secret uh, is found in places of his integrity, found in places like Psalm 42, 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That was the secret to his integrity. Whom I in, have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee I desire nothing on earth. That's strong stuff. Job's another great example. <clears throat> His life totally turned upside down, but he would, he, he would not let go of the God who he said existed and was good. He just could not figure out what was happening. And Daniel's another good example. We don't have time to look at him. But the famous verse there is six, Daniel 6, verse 4, where uh, they said they looked for him and they could find no corruption in a guy no negligence and the guy was serving a pagan king he wasn't doing church work (laughs) he was was fulfilling the job that God had given him uh, in a secular world and doing an unbelievable job of it I love the story of Ted Williams in 1959 he'd been one of the baseball greats through the whole 50's and he had a pinched nerve and it caused his batting average to go down at that time the team offered him the largest salary in the history of baseball $125,000 in 1959 and he sent it back and asked for the largest pay cut said this. My feeling was that, when I always, that I was always treated fairly by the Red Sox when it came to contracts. Now they were offering me a contract I didn't deserve. I have never done that. And as I've taken a lot of money, I promise you, I didn't deserve. Contrast these guys to King Amaziah. Great story. You can look it up in 2 Kings 14 or 2 Chronicles 25. At 25, he takes over the kingdom from his father, Joash. And it says he did right in the sight of the Lord, but not like David, not with a whole heart. He left the high places. Took care of everything else. He was a good king. Fast forward to his life, and he gets into battle with the Edomites, and he hires 100,000 soldiers from Israel for 100 talents, a lot of money. And a prophet comes to him and says, Man, God doesn't want you to go to battle with these guys. He'll give you the Edomites, but not with these guys. And he says exactly what I would to say. What shall I do for the 100 talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? I already paid them. (laughs) What about the money? The prophet said, The Lord has much more than this to give. I'm going to tell you something, guys. That If you try to obey God without developing your relationship with Him, you'll end up like somebody on welfare and you'll resent. It takes relationship. He did it, but he choked on it. He sent him back and he choked on it, and he picked up some of the gods, and he ends his life worshiping foreign gods, ignoring the prophets, picking a fight with Israel, the nation of Israel, who's the king of Judah, and losing it, and being killed by his own people. Some of the benchmarks of integrity. There's a bunch of them. They're all throughout the scriptures. Never let the end justify the means in your life. Uh, Don't try to seek wealth or love money and God at the same time. In fact, I know, uh, I, I was, I was to, Walt and I were talking, uh, I wish Gail would have gone into this more because you really don't put God in first place. Because if you got somebody number two and number three, you're going to get into trouble. But Gail, would, I think, because I've talked to him, God's the only thing, I, apart from thee, I desire nothing else on earth. I don't just desire you more than anything, you're all I want. That's where you need to get. Uh, all the ben- if you want a good listing of benchmarks of integrity, look, read Psalm 15. It's a short, uh, terrific uh, explanation. Uh, never try to trade money for time. The Bible treats time as a very precious commodity, and money is all over the place. God wants you to do something. Don't pay somebody else to do it. Do it yourself. Be honest. Speak the truth in love. Uh, I love, there was a fellow, old navigator I heard, he got to hear at a conference with time, John Crawford. He said, You want your life to be like a clean, windswept plane. And honestly, I got to fly to Colorado Springs and look away from the mountains to see what the heck he meant. But that's what he meant. This is not anything sticking up out of the way. That's where you want to keep your life. If something's there, I'm we'll going go cut it down. So it's a so clean, I love that illustration. Now, fix your hope on the eternal, be content, grateful to God fulfill your commitments even when it hurts and guys you're going to make I have pulled some boners I'm dealing with one right now I made 11 years ago and I'm choking on it and I'll tell you i spent a lot of time rationalizing my way out of it and um, Winston the dirty dog gave me this topic every time I do a talk like this it costs me money (laughs) pursue your relationship with Jesus otherwise you'll end up resenting him hmm Really take God at His word. Refuse to compromise. Because eventually He is going to ask you to do something that appears unreasonable. Or does not look like it, it didn't... I'll tell you, if we'd have been with Israel going into the Promised Land, would not look like our best interest. It's going to come down to an issue of whether you're going to rely on your own understanding or trust only in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Don't rely on your own thinking. Reason will get you into trouble when it conflicts with God's word. Go with revelation every time. Because when you hit hit that and it uh, it looks unreasonable, then you find out whether you have integrity. Then you find out what the load limit is. Requirements to hold on to your integrity. Uh, First of all, and we've been talking a little bit about it, but there's two places that uh, are absolutely tremendous places to look for this first uh, requirement. And you don't need to turn there. Just mark Ecclesiastes 2 down. We can hear something Solomon, and then we'd hear Peter. They talk about the same topic. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes two, man, I tried pleasure, and it's you know it's fun. There's no life there. It didn't fulfill me. It didn't. It didn't i still empty. It didn't give me a life. I couldn't. I, I couldn't live for it. You can't live for pleasure. Instead, so I tried accomplishments. Couldn't live for it. Possessions and wealth. He says, no fame, no. He says, Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I exerted, and behold, all was vanity. Pleasure, accomplishments, possessions, wealth, fame, all came up crapper. This didn't do it. Everything else was empty. Everything you might want. And I'll tell you, everybody I know those are the things they're pursuing. I got buddies I spend time with every day, and you could t- pick it. They're all right there. Add wisdom and a couple more, and you got the whole. All that the world offers, and he says it's vanity. Peter, if you turn to John six, quickly with me, uh, makes the same re, uh, describes the same conclusion that he reached, and this is a um, a great illustration because Jesus has uh, just given uh, one of his crowd thinning sermons. Uh, eat, you know, uh, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they're going, yeesh. I mean, what? You know, he's been in the sun too much. It didn't make any sense at all. He really does not. Uh, you know, he could have told them, hey, I'm just I'm, I'm making a point here, folks. He, he, didn't, he, he doesn't do that. He makes all these outrageous, gross statements. And they go, uh, this is a hard thing. <laughs> and... and uh, and it says that they didn't reject Him. They just started to drift away. And, I, and guys, we've seen guys do that in the Christian walk, haven't we? They don't reject Jesus. They just, you just say, all you see Him is at church. They just drift away. Because it's hard. And so at the end in verse 66, it says, As a result of this in John 6:66, 6, Many of His disciples withdrew, and they were not walking with Him anymore. Jesus said therefore to the twelve, You don't want to go also. You leaving too? You headed out? Solomon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He makes three points that are incredibly insightful for this stupid fisherman. He says, when you walk away from Jesus, you're walking somewhere, where else? Everything else is empty. Same conclusion as Solomon. Where else do you go? You're the only place we find life. Point number two. Everything else, you can't make a life out of it. It comes up empty. Unless you come to the same conclusion as Peter, the same conclusion as Solomon, you will, as Gail said, walk away. If you think there's anything else that's gain, you're headed there. Because the price gets high. Pretty soon Jesus says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. You're going to go, yeesh! That's against the law. (laughs) And lastly, he said he figured out Jesus was from God. Well, if he's from God, case closed. What are we even talking about? You know? He exists. This is him no discussion. Need to, another requirement is to develop a refined conscience. Try to bring your conscience into conformity to God's Word which takes a little time and a lot of effort. If you ignore your conscience it gets weaker and hardened. Just keep it sensitive. You know um, we do stuff uh, when I do a lot of my training the more often you do stuff the less it hurts and so, the more often you ignore your conscience, the less it hurts. I mean, I go train long distances, so it doesn't, you know, when I get to that level, it just doesn't bother you as much because I'm used to it. Well, you just don't want to take your conscience out like that. Man, as soon as it starts hurting, pull over to the side of the road and deal with it. It's the exact opposite of what I do in uh, training for uh, competitions. Don't do that. You want to respond to your conscience the second it twinges so that it becomes incredibly sensitive. you better develop men in your life. Like David had, like Nathan, who would just walk in and shoot straight with you. Because you need it. Because Jeremiah says our hearts are more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. You fool yourself easier than anybody can fool you. Rationalization is the key to happiness down our way. (laughs) And the problem is, uh, I can, in Matthew 7, when he gives the illustration of picking a splinter out of somebody else's eye, when you need to take the log out of yours, what amazes me is I can see your splinters and I can't see my logs. Think about that. I can't see he got to see his own logs. But he can see splinters in somebody, and that's the way I am. I can pick out your flaws so easy, it's pathetic. But I can't see my logs. I need guys who charge into my life. And I need to be honest with them if they're going to do it. You better be fearing God. I love how Jacob describes God. He calls him the fear of Isaac. The God who scared Isaac to death. He's good, but He's not safe, guys. Fear of God is beginning of wisdom. You need to be concerned about the Almighty God who will not be manipulated, who will not be predictable. And you better walk with Him. There's a huge overemphasis on doing, and that's one of the reasons we wear out. I love uh, the Scriptures really encourage walking with God. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. I love Enoch. He walked with God and he was not, for God took him. What else did he do? Held crusades? No, he just walked with God. Guys, that's it. If you got something he wants you to do, you'll, you'll know it. Just walk with him. Uh, the cost of integrity, uh, it's going to cost, I, I'm not going to go through these, it's going to cost a lot, guys. Uh, and one thing it'll do, it'll get you, it get you, your head's going to come up over the parapet and then go take shots at you. Because men of bloodshed hate the blameless, Proverbs 29 11 you're going to look foolish, it's going to be inconvenient, you're going to look flaky, uh, you won't look so good to the world. You think you will, but when you really start to walk with integrity, and integrity in our case means following Jesus. But the rewards greatly outweigh those. And I'll just rip through these because we're out of time. Aside from sleeping well, because of the peace that integrity brings, see. Integrity—if you've got it—eliminates a lot of optionals. Ration, options rationalizing takes a ton of work. I mean, I justify, and he can't do that to me. And if he does, you know, because—and that's a lot of work and effort. It's so much easier just to do what you're supposed to do. Honor your commitments, regardless of what the other person's up to. Just takes the pressure off. You go to sleep, you don't have to worry about it. Proverbs 11:3, integrity guides us. It eliminates a lot of options and makes the course very plain more often than we realize. Proverbs 19.1 Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he is a perverse speech and is a fool. Gosh, you don't want to ever be called a fool by God but the point here is you're better off even if you ain't got much. You're better off. It's gain. Proverbs 27 A righteous man who walks in integrity how blessed are his sons after him. You're going to leave a godly heritage. That does not mean your kids will turn out great no guarantees on that but you're going to leave a heritage somewhere maybe with your kids maybe with your spiritual children but that's a Benny Psalm 7, 8 the Lord judges the people vindicate me O Lord according to the righteousness and my integrity that is in me it will go easier for you in the judgment to come when you stand before the throne of God Psalm 15 you want to live on the holy hill walk with integrity intimacy with God one of the rewards he who has my commandments and keeps them he is who loves me he who loves me will be loved by me by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to me. Your intimacy with God comes from integrity. Psalm 41, 12. Thou dost uphold me in the integrity, in my integrity. And thou dost set me in, the, in thy presence forever. Proverbs 10, 9. He who walks with integrity walks securely. When you walk in obedience, you're secure. When something happens to you and you've been obedient, you know it's for your good. Your sin does, is not muddying the water there. Psalm 25, 21. It preserves me. Proverbs 13, 6. It guards us. And then all the rewards that Gail talked about. Guys, make a decision today to walk with integrity. If you really believe it, live it. Because you could actually be living a lie because on the inside you really don't trust God and you're pretending to. Better to trust him. And then on the other side you may be trusting him and you're not living that way. Whatever way it is, get it straight and be honest about it. Walk with integrity. Let's close in prayer. Father, uh, I thank you that you do not leave us here on earth to wander around, but you give us instruction. You live inside of us. pray, God, that we'd be men of integrity, that we'd be able to uh, handle all of the obedience that you have for us, Lord. Whatever test you give us, we know that you've made the bridge such that it can withstand it. Don't let us compromise the weight limit. Father, I pray that each one of us would make the commitment to walk consistently with everything in your word in every area of our lives. In Christ's name, amen.